Dear friends in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Today we enter into our fourth and final sermon in our series, Out of Hibernation. Like grizzly bears, we needed to go into a form of hibernation for a time, and now we're beginning to come out of hibernation, considering our purpose, proof, hope, and community. When grizzlies come out of hibernation, it's a slow investigative process, determining when the right time will be to finally and fully emerge. This emergence is gradual. It may take one to two weeks to fully be out of hibernation. And it happens with bears differently. First males, then solitary females, and then females with cubs. But once they have emerged fully and have become in, and have come into life in their new normal, they don't go their separate ways. They remain together to teach and to learn. The young cubs need to learn how to hunt, fish, live outside the den, and it's the pack's job to teach them. Before becoming a pastor, I served in youth ministry for a few years. And I'll tell you that I candidly don't remember much of what I taught the students, but there are a few things that I deeply remember having been taught by my experience. One of those lessons came from a family with three girls. The husband was away uh, sometimes weeks on end for his work, and it was a hardship on the family, but they determined that that was the work that he was supposed to do so they wanted to make the best of it. So when he was home, they would go out, they would have daddy-daughter dates, they would do whatever they could. And while he was gone or present, they wanted to make sure that they could expand their village. They did have family who lived locally, but they wanted to have even more family, even more of a village. So as a couple, they chose people who would be godparents for their daughters, who would specifically mentor them and help them grow up, specifically when their daughters became teenagers and would get into the scrapes that are part and parcel of growing up. They knew, unlike anyone I've ever seen, that it takes a village to raise a child. In our gospel story today, we hear an opposite example. And it's one worth hearing. Let's take a look at the context. In chapter 12, verse 1, we hear that thousands have gathered around Jesus. Verse 1 says that there's so many there that they're trampling each other. Jesus' disciples are there as well as thousands of others. And Jesus is preparing them for the end, teaching them that hardship will come, but the Holy Spirit will be with them. And then in the middle of his teaching, a man interrupts him and demands that Jesus divide his brother's inheritance with him. This interruption seems like a mystery because this isn't like any of Jesus' ministry. Jesus responds to the man in verse 14 saying, man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter between you? What's interesting is that this was actually common practice to, for rabbis to receive questions like this. 
Kenneth Bailey, a theologian who studied Middle Eastern peasant culture for many years, actually wrote that not only was this common, there is a story of a famous rabbi, Yohanan ben Zaki, a contemporary of Jesus, who moved from Galilee to Jerusalem so that he could hear more cases. Not enough people were coming to him precisely to handle the concerns that this man presented to Jesus. This man hoped that Rabbi Jesus would take his case. There are a number of interesting things happening here. The man asked Jesus to do something that would have been normal for a rabbi, a person in Jesus' position. The man does not ask Jesus to take on his case. He demands it. And then Jesus doesn't respond kindly. He calls him man, not friend, which would have been a term of endearment. Jesus calls him the name of someone who is remote, who is not a friend, man, and he refuses to arbitrate his case. Who appointed Jesus a judge or arbiter between this man and his brother? What might not be immediately obvious is that in the man's demand for arbitration, his relationship with his brother has already been broken. He was unable to sort out the affair with his brother in private, and now in front of thousands and Rabbi Jesus, he demands that, he, that his case be heard. He's making public what wasn't able to be sorted privately with thousands of gathered around. Everyone knows what this man wants. What this man believes is justice. But Jesus refuses to take on the man's case. He responds with a warning and a story. The land of a rich man produced a bumper crop. The man is wealthy, so wealthy that he doesn't need to sell the produce from this year's crop. He decides that instead of contributing to this year's harvest, he'll wait until he can make an even greater profit. By withholding his produce, he secures his economic power and position of status in the village as others are made more and more dependent on him. The man is more than satisfied with this plan. He's proud of it. He can imagine himself taking life easy, drinking, and making merry. But what the man doesn't realize is that his days are numbered. His life will be demanded from him that very night. The man thinks he is wise in his planning, but God says he is a fool. He has made selfish plans, and who will profit from his plans when he dies? This story sounds like a familiar one of greed. The haves shore up an abundance for themselves, and the have-nots are at their mercy. But there's another dimension to this story. In this man's culture, even trivial decisions are made only after long discussions with family and friends. But this man appears to have no friends. And with an important decision to make, the only person with which he can have a dialogue is himself. The man is friendless. He has no one with whom he can discuss his plans, so he talks to himself. This is not simply a story of a greedy man. This is the story of a greedy, friendless man 
who doesn't know that his days are numbered. It's a very sad story. A few nights ago, I watched the Friends reunion. And there were a number of interesting aspects to that special, but in my mind, the oddest and most interesting segment was when they interviewed people from all over the world who shared stories of how the, in, the, how the sitcom impacted and even saved them. Each person identified a deep longing for friendship, for friends who would never leave them, and they shared how they, in effect, settled for a sitcom. What was intended to be impactful to the audience felt sad and empty. How often do we recognize a longing, a need within ourselves, and misidentify the solution? We feel dissatisfied, so we buy something new. We're bored, so we eat. We want to enjoy our future, so we work hard and don't take vacations. We want to be respected, so we get busy. We want friends, so we watch TV. We want security, so we store up and isolate ourselves. To the man, Jesus essentially says, what if you win the fight over your inheritance? What then? Life is not about how much you have. Your life is on loan from God, and only he knows how many days you will live. Be on guard against greed because it destroys the most important thing, your relationships. Greed destroys relationships. This is a difficult teaching, but you and I both know it's true. Like the grisly season of hibernation, you and I weren't told how long our hibernation would last. No one could say for sure because no one knew. No one knew how bad it would get nor how much some would benefit from it. We were told at the beginning that COVID was a great equalizer, but we've come to discover that though everyone has been affected, it has not affected everyone equally. It has been an especially unequal and unfair season. As we emerge from hibernation, we begin with that honest assessment. And we grieve. We grieve those we've lost. We grieve the ways in which we have been more concerned with our survival than with love of our neighbor. We grieve the pain of our brothers and sisters whose communities have been decimated, whose jobs have been lost, and who have been the target of hate crimes. As we've come out of hibernation and look around, we name the pain within ourselves and the pain of our local and global community, and we grieve. Life was not meant to be this way. Life was meant to be in perfect, healthy community with one another and with God. But sin came into the world and infected all of us. It's infected you and it's infected me. It's caused our hearts to be naturally selfish and self-centered, even though we desperately wish that weren't the case. You and I were made for healthy community, but we constantly battle that purpose to serve and preserve ourselves. And this is why Jesus came. Because we couldn't save it. We couldn't save ourselves. 
He came to deliver you and me from this bondage to our sin, this bondage to ourselves, and to show and to make a better way. As the church, we pray and we strive to embody this better way, that God's kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. We strive to be the healthy community that God created us to be, to seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which we have been called and to pray for it. Last year, our leadership council was keenly aware that COVID could have a severe effect on our community. We had honest conversations about what this might mean for the church as individuals and as our larger community. We didn't want to have our heads in the sand. We wanted to have our eyes wide open so that we could make wise and caring decisions. And we discovered that at St. Timothy's, generosity increased and that many in the congregation did not struggle financially. But that didn't therefore mean business as usual. We recognized that with this, we have a great privilege and responsibility. When schools were forced to close last year, we recognized our responsibility to the families of our preschool. We wanted to continue to support families, so we did not cause them to, we did not demand that they pay. Um, we taught them for free online, and we continued to pay the salaries of our preschool teachers and staff. We increased employment on our church staff and looked for ways to support our community. We heard about a new initiative called United Against the Poverty Pandemic, put together by the Healing Grove City Team, other nonprofits and churches in consultation with the city. United Against the Poverty Pandemic was born out of a serious concern for an upcoming homelessness epidemic in Santa Clara County. The eviction moratorium had been extended to January, but without intervention, it was expected that 14,600 families would then be homeless. As a, as a council, we knew that this was something that we needed to be involved in, something that we needed to support. And then the eviction moratorium was extended through September. Some funds had already been distributed to individuals and families, but it became clear to Healing Grove that a pivot was necessary. What was really needed during this time was employment for our vulnerable neighbors. And I have the glad update to share with you that our gift has gone to support this employment initiative. I'd like to share a video with you now. I wanna thank St. Timothy's Lutheran Church for your incredibly generous support for the United Against the Poverty pandemic. Uh, you know, uh, I had been contacted by St. Timothy's about giving a gift and, and, and then the gift that we actually received was four times larger than what we had talked about. And I just wanna say how incredibly thankful I am. You know, St. Timothy is gonna transform the lives of low-income people in our community. And I'm so grateful for your support. Thank you so much. Because of your support, families that were in crisis are now thriving with the goodness of God. I want you to hear Socorro's story and how your support has contributed to bringing their family from disaster to thriving. También la pandemia como familia nos afectó muchísimo porque mi esposo se quedó sin trabajo y nosotros debíamos mucho de renta y de luz. Nosotros habíamos decidido regresarnos a México, pero estábamos en espera de una cirugía de mi esposo y eso fue lo que nos detuvo aquí. Después vino una cirugía de mi esposo 
en agosto a él le, le hicieron su cirugía de cadera, eh, entonces ya no nos podemos regresar. En, en septiembre él se puso muy grave. Yo la única persona que pude acudir fue a la doctora Ángela. Yo le hablé y le dije que mi esposo se me había caído en el baño y que no, no reaccionaba y que estaba muy mal. Ella fue a mi casa, allí me le hizo unos análisis y todo y en la tarde me, me habla y me dice, ¿sabes qué? Tu esposo no tiene, se terminó. Tiene una anemia muy fuerte y arreglé todo para que en el ocorno te lo reciban ahorita. Tienes que hablar una ambulancia y llevarte. Mi esposo tuvo cuatro días en terapia intensiva. Yo estoy muy agradecida con Dios y con la doctora Ángela y con todos aquí de la clínica que a mí me han tendido mucho la mano con mi esposo. Ahorita él está en recuperación. La doctora me mandó una terapeuta que le hiciera sus terapias en mi casa. Nosotros no tenemos dinero, no tenemos seguro médico. Entonces para mí era muy difícil. Después este, apliqué para la renta y la primera vez no califiqué porque a mi esposo ya le habían ayudado una vez. Ya después volví a calificar y aquí con Brett yo califiqué para la renta. Ellos me ayudaron a pagar renta porque ya el dueño a mí me quería desalojar porque ya estaba debiendo mucho dinero. Ellos me ayudaron con la renta y gracias a Dios y ya ellos nosotros podemos salir adelante. Después aquí Brett nos, nos dio un trabajo en una iglesia y eso me ayuda a mí a salir con todos mis pagos. Mis hijos están desesperados porque ellos están en escuelas católicas y yo no podía pagar ya su escuela. Cuando yo empecé a trabajar, yo empecé a pagar sus escuelas de ellos. Ahora, gracias a Dios y a ellos, sigo trabajando en esa iglesia. Y, y para mí es todo esto ha sido muy difícil porque mi esposo todavía no puede trabajar. Y con lo que yo gano apenas podemos salir. Yo lo único que pido es que Dios les dé muchas fuerzas a ellos para que nos sigan apoyando, nos dan comida. Gracias a la comida que ellos nos dan, nosotros podemos salir adelante. No nomás para mí, para toda la comunidad. Ellos ayudan a toda la comunidad. Ellos sin que nosotros les digamos, ellos están dispuestos a ayudarnos. Ya la doctora nomás le abro y le digo, doctora, pasa esto con mi esposo. Y luego lo dice, ok, no te preocupes, yo voy a ir a checarlo y ella va y me lo checa. Gracias a ella, mi esposo tuvo su cirugía, está reponiéndose rápidamente y ahorita todavía no puede caminar mucho, pero ya, ya poco a poco está, está pudiendo salir adelante. Quiero invitar a todas las personas que, que ayuden, que Dios les mueva su corazón y que ayuden a tantas personas que hay como yo, que necesitamos mucha ayuda en esta comunidad. Les, les, pido, les pido mucho su cooperación. Y que Dios las bendiga y, y les dé mucho más. Yo les agradezco antemano de parte de toda mi familia por todo lo que hacen por nosotros, pero también como yo hay mucha familia que ocupa de todos ustedes. Muchas gracias y que Dios los bendiga. We have the great privilege and responsibility to one another and to our community. I am thankful for the work of God in and through the ministry of Healing Grove and for our partnership with them. As we come out of hibernation, may our lives be marked by generosity and love. And may we be the healthy community we were created to be in perfect relationship with God and with one another. And may God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven.
our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the Let's sing together.